Welcome to Heavy Hitter Sports, the podcast focused on inspiring game changers. I'm your host, Mark Hogesang. My initial episodes were focused on notable athletes or sports moments, but my show intent is also to offer knowledge and wisdom from thought-provoking and entertaining colleagues that I worked with at Nike, Adidas, and Easton. In that vein, I'm honored that a former Adidas teammate and friend, Bob Kalemi, agreed to share a heartfelt, cautionary tale with us. May 30th marks a decade since the passing of Bob's beloved son, TC, who lost his battle to drugs. As you'll learn, Bob used this tragic event to create and fund a remarkable substance abuse treatment and prevention program in partnership with TC's Arizona State University. Sadly, drug and alcohol abuse can strike any of us if we are not vigilant. But in the words of the wise sage, Benjamin Franklin, the things which hurt, instruct. Bob, welcome. Thank you so much for speaking with me today. First, I wanted to explain for our listeners how we know each other. It's been 17 years, but we worked together at Adidas. I left in 2004. You continued on. I was there for a brief period of time. You became a legend for the Three Stripes. You were there for 23 years, correct? Correct. I hope I was a legend. And as you're going to find out here, although we have a serious topic to talk about, Bob happens to be the funniest guy that I have ever worked with. So I'm hoping beyond a few tears, there will be some laughs as well to share here. But most of our conversation is going to circle around Bob's late son, TC, and his battle against drugs and alcohol. And then we're going to dive into Bob's quest that comes in the interest of honoring his son and raising funds for anti-drug and alcohol education through a partnership with TC School, Arizona State University. Bob, can you tell us a little bit about your son and some of the happier times and growing up and what he was like? First of all, thank you, Mark, for inviting me and letting me tell the story of, of TC. It's when I do speeches or conversation and I'm in between three, 400 people, it actually tends to be easier than when it's one or two. And I don't know why that is. TC was born in Chicago, Naperville, Illinois. Spent his first seven years in Naperville. Uh, then we moved out to, to Oregon. And Adidas moved me out in 1997. And we lasted uh, two years in, in Oregon. And TC was a, a soccer player and, and a swimmer. Uh, he was a good athlete. He was a select soccer. Uh, when he left Oregon, he was actually top 10 in the state in, in freestyle. Uh, TC was always large, large being tall. He, he, right. he was 6'3 when he passed. And just a very normal kid, very active to say the least, but very quick kid. He, even at a young age, we could see he was a little bit different in a good way, but definitely a lot of, a lot of action. So we lasted two years in Oregon and then we moved to Dallas in 1999, where we really grew up. And, and he's got a sister, uh, Tiffany, who was two years younger. Also, same thing. She was a soccer player and a, and a swimmer. So they did a lot of things together. We tried to always put him in sports and, and have him with the right people, uh, with the right group. Uh, you try to do that as much as you can. Dallas is a quick town. And we were in Plano. And, and Plano is a very quick town where as as much as you try to put the, the borders on, the kids tend to go outside those borders. Money was no option. A lot of those families, this kids had BMWs when they were 16 and 17. And, and that's not what we wanted. And that's not what we, we did with our kids, but still that was always around. So when you have that around you, you always have drugs around you too. At what age does TC become involved with 
drugs and alcohol and introduced into that world? Probably junior, senior year in, in high school. Uh, more of, at that point, drinking beer and, and then hard alcohol. We would catch him. There was one time he had a, a party where we were not aware of the party. We, was, we were having our Christmas party uh, with Adidas, and he actually had a surprise party, and it went totally off, off the tracks. And we came home the next morning. Every light in the house was on, and I walked in, and we knew something was wrong. I walked upstairs to his room, and he was passed out, and I walked right back outside, and, and Lorraine said to me, which I'll never forget, is he dead? Is he dead? And she didn't know what, the, what was going on, oh but she said, is he dead? And I said, no, but he's not in good shape. So at that point, I gave him mouth to mouth. The ambulance came and took him and he was in the ambulance and in the hospital for, for two or three days, getting his stomach pumped. And he made a recovery, one that one of many recoveries he would make over his life. But that's the first time we, we knew he had a, a an issue and, and he was still 17. So we could bring him someplace and we brought him to a, a rehab spot for about three days. Do you have a sense for whether TC was running from something or trying to mask pain in an area or was he just one of those teenagers who was seeking pleasure, and this was the form that was available to him, as you said, within the Dallas area. I think it, it's probably a little bit of both, Mark. He, again, it goes back to having a balance. There's always one thing if you want to have a drink or two drinks when you're 21, when right. you're legal. It's another thing when you have to drink to black out or if you have to take 10 pills. I don't think he had that ability to say no. And he had parts of his life where he was great. So it wasn't like it was every day, every week, every month there was an issue. But once he got through that, and that was senior year in high school, he left in August for Arizona State. So at what point does he realize that he has a problem? Or does TC realize that he has a problem? Yeah, I don't think he, he ever realized it. And I think that's until you realize there is a problem, then you don't think you have a problem. Right. And it's two rehabs that we went through. He was in college in 2005. He passed away May 30th, 2011. So he was at Arizona State for six years. Uh, he had enough credits to graduate, but he was short about eight credits, 10 credits in his major. So every three months, six months, we would get him back, get him get him registered, try to finish that out. And it really failed until he passed. So he, he just didn't have that ability to say no. And, and he had a great group of friends, but even they got tired of a lot of his BS. And at the end where they tried to help, but they couldn't. You, you can't watch a kid 24 hours. Exactly. And I think sometimes you don't, but sometimes I forget and others forget that substance abuse is a disease. So in essence, it's outside of the individual's control at some point in time, correct? Yeah, I could remember when he was in high school, senior year. And again, when he went for counseling, there's not much the counselor can tell you about their hour sessions. The one thing she said, which again, I'll never forget, was an 18-year-old kid, boy, male, sometimes is as dumb as a rock. They, they just don't get it. And, and I think that's part of it. And he was a smart kid. He was a strong B, B-plus student, not putting a lot of time into it. Uh, he was great with math. He wanted to be finance major. For, he wanted to work in Wall Street. He wanted to, to, to hang out with stocks and, and, and brokers. And, and he was very good at that. The point that you make is interesting, too, because brains are not truly finalized in terms of development until, I think, the age of 25. So in essence, that impulse control can be really hard for somebody sure. in their teens or early 20s. Yeah. And sadly, they're vulnerable there because you're off, you're at college, whether it's ASU or wherever it might be, you're on your own, your mom and dad are not there to help control. Right. And so you make your own decisions and some of those sadly are not good ones.
Can you tell us a little bit about that first intervention? The first one, we got a call on a Saturday from one of his Delta Sig brothers and a TC had a problem. And I know this gentleman. I know when he calls and, and he tells you there's an issue, you got to jump on it. So I said, okay, great. Thanks, Jason. We're going to go fly down. Uh, we'll get a flight for Sunday. We'll get down there and, and see what the story is. So during that Saturday, this is 2011, 2010, in terms of the intervention, I went on the internet. Tried to look up, you know, rehab uh, locations. And found one. We had some conversations with the people there, and we thought they were good. That's from again. You're reading the reviews at that point. You're looking at their website. You're talking with the counselor. So he's okay. Great. We go down. We fly in. Uh, we don't tell him we're coming in. We fly in on Sunday, and we're knocking on his door. Literally an hour for him to come to the door, and we think we're about to call the police then and and have them open it up. He finally comes to the door and, and he doesn't know where he's at. He barely knows his mom and dad. We opened up the door and the apartment was a pigsty. It was terrible, just terrible. Dirt, clothes, that's not the way to live. So we cleaned them up. We cleaned the apartment up. We must have five, six bags of garbage. All the pills, I can see all the pills. We threw all the pills out. And we left that Monday. Uh, we had to go to Oklahoma uh, to bring him to a detox center. And he stayed there for two or three days, detoxing out. And then he went to the actual rehab down in South Texas, McAllen, Texas. At this point, does he voluntarily do that? Or are you and Lorraine basically forcing the issue and saying you have to do this? Yeah, we're probably pushing him. And we didn't, there wasn't a vote taken at that point. Uh, you're, you're coming with us. And I think he was so out of it, it, it was okay. So he's at the rehab center. He's got some issues there. He doesn't like it. Surprise. Nobody says I like a rehab center. They ended up moving him to Fort Collins. That's where our daughter is going to college, Colorado State. And we'd rather not uh, have him go to Colorado because of, we don't want him to be close to the, the sister, Tiffany. And maybe, again, he uses Tiffany as a crutch. These are things that you start learning as a parent, what they do. Because they're drug addicts. And you have to admit that as a parent. I think this is an interesting issue as a parent or as a sister. You want to help, but you don't want to enable, correct? And I'm sure there's a fine line between the two, and you probably, in the heat of it all, get lost at times as to what is the best thing that you can do to help your loved one who has a substance abuse problem. And keep them separate was, you know, let Tiffany live her life. And again, she's doing great at school, loves school, loves Colorado State, loves Fort Collins. So we ended up going to sending him to, to Fort Collins, but strict instructions. Tiffany's not going to come see you. Um, you've got to be at the rehab and everything. He was there about three weeks, four weeks, and he started telling us a little bit uh, about a sauna, that they would be in a sauna for seven hours, six hours during the day. And I was okay. They want to get this, the, the, the toxins out. All right, I'm, I'm believing it. Then he starts talking about L. Ron Hubbard, Scientology, and I knew nothing about that. That was nothing in our conversation. Then they started giving... Because of the sauna, they would give you a, a vitamin, which wasn't healthy for you. And we started looking that up on the internet and looking and, and talking with other doctors. And once we said he was in the sauna for six, seven hours, and they're giving him some extra vitamins, they said he's not in a safe place. So we basically, I was actually in Portland at that time at, at a meeting. I flew right to uh, Colorado. I had Lorraine meet me from Dallas to, to Denver. And we went in there and we said, we're taking our son out. They were upset. And I said, no, we're going to take him out. Uh, you don't even have a doctor here on site. And we ended up getting into a lawsuit, which we settled out of, out of court. Just we were not happy. And again, that's based on 2010. You don't have the information you have today on, on rehab. So that was bad on us. I don't think you should be blaming yourself. I think what's at, at issue here, horrible experience, bad facility, but sad. Sadly, there are bad facilities out there. And when you have parents or young adults who need help, 
they're in their most vulnerable state trying to navigate this world without counselors, without folks who can direct to the best site. And so in essence, mistakes can be made. And sadly, there are some facilities out there that take advantage of people in their most desperate state. And this sounds like a situation where that- Yeah, so he came back to live with us for, for a couple of months, left in January to, again, finish that eight credits, 10 credits in his major. He lasted about a month and then he, he had another incident where he blacked out, he was in the hospital. So I came back out again to Arizona. I said, okay, it's time for another rehab where we brought him to Iowa. It was a recommendation of someone who had been there. He lasted initially, so I felt a lot better knowing that. And uh, the first time, six weeks, and, and again, he was doing very well. They liked him, they enjoyed him. And then week six, he broke into uh, the infirmary and he said he needed some aspirin. He probably took some other stuff at that point and they have zero tolerance. Right. So at that point, they sent him home that night from Iowa. This was in early April, uh, late March. I said, TC, you need to go back because uh, you were doing well and, and they liked you. So I, I called them back up and I basically pleaded for them to bring him back in. They said he could come back in, but the class that's there right now needs to graduate. So once that class graduated, we sent him back uh, where he stayed for about six weeks. Uh, then we brought him to uh, Tiffany's graduation, which was May of 2011. This weekend, in fact, 2011, 10 years ago. Uh, we brought him back. I wanted him to see the graduation. I wanted to see him see how Tiffany graduates, how she did it. My mom and dad were there, you know, 85 and, and 83, and Lorraine's mom and dad were there. So we had the whole family. How was TC's mental state at that point? He he was actually fine. He was fine. It's like nothing nothing hit him hard. He was fine. He was great at the graduation. And then I, I drove him to the airport Sunday, Mark. And, and, and this is in Denver. And I can remember the last conversation, one of the last conversations we had when, again, TC's six foot three, I'm, I'm five foot ten. So I got to go on the curb to see him. <laughs> face to face. And, and he basically said, dad, I'm going to make you proud. I'm going to make you proud. And, and I said, TC, that, that's great, but you got to make yourself proud. Exactly. You got to make yourself proud. And we hugged and that was Sunday. He got to, he got to Arizona Sunday night. He was probably dirty two hours after he landed. Oh my goodness. So then what happens next? What happens next? His roommate calls me and says he's back using it. And I was like, I, I couldn't believe it. And again, I don't know why I couldn't believe it. Maybe because he's been he's been good for six weeks. And, and how could somebody just throw it away after one or two days? I spoke to him and he said, no, I'm good. I'm okay. I said, all right. All right. Maybe the roommate was a little bit, was wrong. And then what I didn't find out till later was that he had asked, he had asked my dad for about $300 because uh, he said he got into an accident and he needed to get the car back. And again, I didn't know that until way afterwards. So that's the money. TC used for heroin and coke, which eventually killed him. So the last conversation we had was Wednesday. When he told me, I, I was actually very calm. I, I was disappointed. But I said, hey, we, this is not acceptable. We have to take it to the next step. I said, do you want to speak to your mom? Do you want to speak to your mom? And, and he said, no. And that was the last time I, I spoke to him. Uh, so that was Wednesday. In the meantime, his friends were with him. They had gone downstairs to unhook his car so he couldn't drive because he wasn't in a good state so in between 20 minutes he od'd he od'd on, on heroin and, and coke in that 20 minutes his one of his friends gave him mouth to mouth and that was he od'd he didn't he didn't pass he was on life support system for 12 days 10 days to life support and a couple of days in, in hospice in, in the both of the hospice and in the hospital things happened to us that i, I would never have believed if somebody else told me yeah can you share a little bit about that 
one of the incidents, Mark, was, again, this is, uh, our daughter just graduated and, and she's, I, I have to tell her how bad things are. Right. So she comes in from Denver to Arizona. My wife flies in from Dallas and, and it, it's Wednesday. So it's basically a week since he's been in the hospital. I had been there about two days earlier when I, I knew it was not good. When the neurosurgeon says he's, at this point, he, he's brain dead. We don't think there's anything. If he does survive, it, it's not going to be pleasant. It will not be what we want him to be. So we said, okay, that's, we, we get it. So we told Tiffany the situation. Uh, I picked her up at the airport and we go into the ICU and it's myself, Tiffany and Lorraine, and we're around him in the bed. We say a prayer. I asked a buddy of mine, Billy Allen, who also worked for Adidas. We used to kid around. He's as close to a priest, a pastor, as you could be. He's just a great, great human being. And I asked him for a prayer. I open up the phone. I look at the prayer and I say, TC, this is from Billy. I'm reading the prayer to him. And probably about a minute into it, a tear comes out of his right eye. And I stop. And the first thing I said, oh shit, he's good. He's this is one of TC's nine lives. It, it's good. It's the prayer work, Billy worked, God worked, faith worked, whatever. He, he's going to say hi. And we just stopped. And we just looked at each other. And we did nothing for 30 seconds, just waiting, just waiting. And nothing happened. That, that, that was it. So he went through the prayer and that was on a Wednesday and we had his organs uh, were going to be donated. So that Wednesday night, we told his friends, this is a good time to say goodbye to TC. And, and we probably had 30, 40 people in the ICU. The hospital didn't care. They were crying. The, the nurses were crying. The, the, the doctors were crying because of the love of his friends that had been there. Because he was a popular guy. At one point, he had everything going for him. Good looking, athletic. Yes, he had everything. He had the world and he just couldn't. Again, it goes back to the balance. I always stress that. You, you have to have a balance. And, and I think faith, and I don't think TC has as much faith as he should, as we all should have. We all should have more. You can never have enough. Can we talk a little bit about that in terms of how you, your wife, and your daughter then cope with the passing of TC? I'm sure your faith comes in loud and clear at this moment in time, but can you tell us about the aftermath and how you adjusted to life without your son? I, I say I, I had one bad day. I was home, and I went into his closet in Plano, and I threw out all his Arizona State apparel. I'm done. I'm done. Then I woke up the next day and I said, what, what did I just do? What did I do? I'm a big guy. I'm a tough guy. You think that's what TC would want me to do? From that day on, the TC Foundation and the ASU fun started happening. And I, to me, it's faith. To me, God gave TC that last chance when he was at Fort Collins, when both sets of grandparents, you don't get that chance to see both sets of grandparents Exactly. And then pass on. And, and your sister and, and the brother-in-law and the sister-in-law. So to me, God said, okay, I'm going to give you a chance. He went back to Arizona. And unfortunately, he did the wrong things. So God said, before you F up other things and maybe you hurt other people, it's time. Can we go back to that tier? Because in essence, is that his way of on some level saying, I'm sorry, dad. I, I, I think that's, that's a large part of it. And, and after the ICU, you know, they always wanted him to pass in the ICU, in the hospital, because he had been there for so long, but he was 6'3", he was in great shape. They did tell us he'll probably not pass in 24 hours. 
So they did move him to a hospice and, and the hospice did such a great job with him and for us. On that Monday, we saw TC in the morning, spent a couple hours with him. Uh, and again, on his bed is Dirk Lewitsky jersey. It is a Tony Romo jersey, uh, his Delta Sig pin. So we're making the room feel as comfortable as, as we can. And so we see him in the morning, then we come back in the afternoon. When he was off the uh, oxygen, Mark, his, his eyes opened up and TC had the greatest eyes in the world. You're still waiting, but there was nothing there. I, I would not look because... I knew at one point he's not going to be here. Exactly. And this is the last image I'm going to have of my son. So we go back in for the second time and, and, and then we leave and we're halfway down the corridor. And I tell Lorraine, Lorraine, I, I got to go back in for, for one second. So I go back in to TC and I lean real close and, and I say, TC, it's time. It's, it's, it's time. We're not mad at you. Dad's not mad. Mom's not mad. Well, it's time to go. If you see the light, you know, we always talk about seeing the light. If you see the light, go with it. Right. I said, for once in your life, listen to your dad. And that's what I said to him. And I left. He died that night. He passed that night. So later on, when we talked to the neurosurgeon, he told us the last thing to go with someone in, in TC's condition is their hearing. So yes, 100%, I believe he heard us and he heard Billy's name and he heard what we were saying. And 100% to this day, I know he heard what I said and he was okay to leave. You basically and, gave uh, him permission. Yeah, I, I, it's time. It's time. And I've been very fortunate to have the faith, the family, and the friends who, who helped us. And that one bad day, and everything came to me, to what to do, to talk, to build a speech, to be able to go to Arizona State, to, to have discussions with people. So you've got the idea. You have the vision now that you're going to help and, in essence, make a horrible situation, take some good out of that by, in essence, creating this foundation. But how do you make that first step with the university? When he first passed, Adidas wanted to do something for me, and, and they wanted to give some money. So I said, I don't know. And uh, Owen Clement, who longtime Nike uh, manager and, and an assistant, was at Adidas, and, and, and we talked about having a foundation. So I called Arizona State. I got the uh, financial uh, department, and I said, I want to give money, but I want to give it to student services. I want to give it back and, and support. And they love the idea. They said, nobody gives money to student services. Everybody gives it to the engineering department, to the basketball teams, to but never to student services. We, we love the idea. And it's going to take $25,000 to get endowed. So I go, Jesus, $25,000. We got 5,000 here. I said, I didn't know how I'm going to get $25,000. We got it in about three weeks. Amazing. Once people heard about it and what we were doing, they, you know, friends, family, companies, uh, Adidas, Agron, who was a licensee for Adidas. These guys have always been with us from day one, giving us swag, giving us support for the events. And the first event we did was 30 people, on a bike ride in Dallas, in Plano, 30 people. Three years later, that was 200 people on a bike ride, a uh, 5K uh, walk and run. So everything has just expanded and grown over the years. And can you share now the figure, which is amazing to me, how much you have raised through this foundation for anti-drug, anti-alcohol abuse education? We're at uh, a little over 460000 I'll make sure we're at 500000 by year end. 100% of that money goes to Arizona State. We've also built an endowment for Delta Sig, his, his fraternity. Can you talk a little bit about the educational program at ASU and the content and the message that's being delivered? I try to get there at least two, three times a year. I sit down with their team and we go through steps on bringing kids together. One of the big events is, is my speech. Anywhere between three and 500 kids uh, fraternities attend that. It's just amazing to have these kids. Usually there's not a 
a dry eye in the house. Again, it's about giving back and they respect me and I'll, I'll come back a couple of months later and somebody will see me out there and they'll say, hey, Mr. Mr. Bob, Mr. Adidas, thanks for talking to me. It, it, it helped. Your, your story is something that I've gone through or because of your story, I know how to handle other things. And I think that's the biggest thing that, that I get out of. I think you've touched on this before in the sense that basically all of us on some level in our lives have been touched through abuse, right? with a loved one, or perhaps maybe even ourselves. There are very few people that are exempt from this. And I was listening to a podcast with actually the ASU football coach, Herm Edwards, and he was talking about it in the context of sports, but I think this is applicable here as well. He was talking about in sports, zip codes don't matter. As long as you're there to help the team win, it doesn't matter where you come from. That is the same case with regard to both drugs alcohol and abuse. It doesn't matter if you're growing up in Dallas or the mean streets of Detroit or wherever it might be, it can get you. Mark, it's not supposed to happen to us. You know, that's the quotes. That's the air quotes. Exactly. It's not supposed to happen to people like us. I don't drink. What okay. happens to us is not supposed to happen to us. But the key is how you react to it. I can't control what, what happens, but what I can control to your point and to your questions is the next step. Is, is what I can do, what Tiffany can do, what Lorraine. And, and it goes, it, it will always go back to we're all on the same page. We all help. Tiffany's new husband, same thing. He's part of this. Your family has done such an amazing job to honor your son and to help others. I know that's been your life purpose since the passing of your son. Can you give some advice to parents who might be in a similar situation with a son or a daughter where sobriety has become an issue? They think they have a problem. They're not really sure. What are the signs where you go, we're getting involved, we're getting you help? You have to watch and, and listen. And if you see them acting differently, they're, they're simple signs. If they're taking drugs, their eyes are, are diluted. Uh, if they're not living a, a normal life, hours, that's usually the first sign there's something going on. And again, that could be depression also. It could be alcohol, drugs. But I always, when, when, when parents come to me, I always ask them about their faith. First of all, do you guys have a faith ride? And, and if not, I say that always helps. Do they have mentors? If they have mentors around them, good friends, that's much better than having a group of kids that, that you don't respect. Do they bring their friends over the house so you know who their friends are? And then having a tight group. There's no book that we can read that says do step A, step B, step C. Everything is different. Everything works different for different people. There are people in my in my spot that just choose not to do this. And that's okay. That's okay. It's however you feel and how you want to react is okay. Sadly, I think we're in a situation, given the pandemic in particular, where overdoses have increased. The CDC most recently posted numbers that go back 12 months. And I think it's September previous 12 months, where 90,000 Americans overdosed. And that was yes. 20,000 from the year prior. So almost a 30% increase. And those numbers are the same basically here in yeah. Oregon, where overdoses in 2020 yeah. went up by 36%. Some of this is isolation, losses of jobs, and a multitude of things that make lives less stable today than before. If there's good news here, I just read this morning in USA Today, that there are $3 billion that are now being directed equally between mental health and substance abuse out of the coronavirus recovery plan. There are going to be some financial resources, thankfully, directed towards this issue. But can you talk a little bit about how things have progressed in the 10 years since your son passed? And are we in a more desperate state today than even at that point? 10 years ago, when, when I first started the, the conversations, the speeches, I would ask the students, how many people know someone who passed away from an overdose? 
or alcohol, maybe 50% would raise their hand. Today, I do that. It's 100%. And these are all 18, 19, 20-year-old kids that are living with death right next to them. When we were teenagers, that wasn't there. You had alcohol, but you didn't have as much death. You, you didn't have you know, 100% of a group of 300 kids, 400 kids saying yes. So it's gotten worse. And it's great that there's some money going to it. And that's great. Obviously, the, the makers of oxycodone codeine, got sued and went out of business. And they're paying billions. And that's they should. And it's the doctors who overprescribed. Those people need to go to jail. Agreed. They need to go to jail. They helped kill a lot of kids yeah. and a lot of adults. The opiate crisis is just so tragic. And now it's compounded by the emergence of fentanyl as well that gets yeah. embedded within so many different drugs. And that's such a low cost alternative that it's even more draconian in some respects because the access to it is ever present. Can you talk about the advice that you would give to an 18 year old who is now starting to drink or maybe experimenting with drugs? As a parent, some reality has to come in. If you send your kids away to, to college, they're probably gonna drink. That's what kids do. There'll be some that don't, obviously, but a large amount will. So I think that's the part that what you've done as a parent for the last 18 years helps. What if you taught them? What values? As long as the values are good, keep them around mentors, around, again, go back to good people, keep around mentors, keep them busy, and just faith. I'm telling you, it, it is tough. There, there's no magic pill being able to keep uh, your son or your daughter safe. It's going to come to them, and it's going to be up to them to say, no, I don't want it. Not yet. That's reality. You're doing a great job at the collegiate level now with Arizona State, but do you think there's enough education being directed to our youth, whether it be in middle school or high school with regard to the dangers associated with drugs and alcohol? No, absolutely not. To me, high school should get you ready for college and life. There's so many, you, know, you take mathematics, you take chemistry, take life, take a life lesson. That's going to stick with you. I, I was a, a strong B student. I, I was, was happy with a B, but I learned about life. I learned about life. And I, I think that's a great point, Mark. That's something we, we don't talk about as much in high school. I think what's unfortunate here is, as you will know, prevention is a better strategy than recovery. I think there's so many things within our school system that need to be fixed, but this just seems as though whether it be abuse or mental health related issues need to be, if not on the forefront, they have to be addressed at that level when kids are impressionable and looking to others beyond just their parents to tell them what's right or wrong or what they need to do. I would love to do more speeches and conversations with high school students, especially juniors and seniors exactly. who are living this. It, it, it's, this is... High school kids, junior, senior, are, are getting the drugs, are getting the alcohol, are getting the pills. And it doesn't make a difference what state, they're all doing it. So absolutely. And it doesn't make a difference. Catholic school, if it's a public school, they're all into it. I think that goes back to when I, when I start my conversations, I, I put the word one, O-N-E, on the board. When I tell the kids or the adults, I said, my goal today is to have one one person get this, that exactly. it goes through, and you avoid what our family has done. If I can get one person in this group that gets this and says, oh, shit, I got to stay straight, then I've done I've done my job. And if I get two, I'm a hero. Exactly. And I, I can testify here, you are a hero. And questionably, the numbers of people that you've touched through this program with ASU, obviously you and your family, and I'm sure your son would be so proud of all that has come out of this. So thank you sincerely. And this has been such a pleasure talking to you. My last question for you would be, given your faith and given the fact that you will see TC at another moment mm -hmm. in time, how do you think that conversation is going to go? What would you like to share with him first? And what do you think will come back your way from your son? Yeah, wow. 
I think the first question I, I would say was, couldn't we've talked more? We were there for you. Couldn't you have just had more conversation? You're a good kid. You were a lovable kid that went too early. He was a sports guy and, and, and I can't call and talk about the Mavericks. I can't talk about the NCAAs. I don't have anybody to talk like that with a son. And, and, and when you have a son, it's just a special bond. And I, I don't have that. And uh, so I say, TC, couldn't you, couldn't we just have talked one more time? And, and, and I would have tried to make it better. And we were looking for the third rehab center when we realized how bad it was. So we were already in the, in the process. That's what I would say to him. And, and I'll see him and I'll see him and my dad. And, and we'll probably play cards. We'll probably play poker. That's what we'll do. That's great. Thank you, Bob, so much for sharing your story and that of your son. And hopefully this will have a positive impact on some listeners out there, whether they be parents or whether they be young adults. I know my son's listening. I knew this would be the moment where I would cheer up because we all want to keep our son. Or that was a great question. I, I was known at Adidas for one interview question. I'd say you could have dinner with five people, alive or dead, who was at your dinner. And there's no right or wrong answer. The one takeaway is if someone gives you a family member, you're usually the nice people. It's interesting that you bring this up because given the tone of this conversation, I felt a little bit awkward doing this, but I have some quick yeah. hitter questions. And one of those that I avoided was if you had three people at your dinner, yeah. because I knew that one of those would be TC. Yeah. And I thought either that would make you cry. I knew it would make me cry. So I was yeah. like, no, don't go there. <laughs> don't go there. So Bob, let's, let's actually have a couple of quick hitter questions here. We've covered a lot of very serious topics today, but you do have a quick wit. Here's some questions for you. Favorite rainy day movie? Favorite rainy day movie. I'm going to give you my favorite movie, Feel the Dreams. That's one of mine as well. And that's another great father-son story. First celebrity crush? Uh, Bewitched, Elizabeth Montgomery. Wow, good call. Favorite sports moment? Either you've been involved with or as a fan. Favorite sports moment would be uh, the World Cup in 1998, the finals, France and Brazil. I happen to be, I was fortunate enough to be at, at the game. That's great. That's amazing. So if your great aunt gave you a million dollars tomorrow, what would you spend the money on? I'd give half to the, to the foundation. By the way, in that vein, my wife and I will be giving $500 to TC's foundation. And I will put the link to the TC ASU fund org into the show notes here as well so others can donate it thank you're you welcome that's nice of you and and and, and your wife appreciate it you're welcome our pleasure certainly so what historical figure do you most identify with oh my gosh i'd like to be like a uh, joe dimaggio italian new yorker 56 game married to marilyn monroe married to marilyn monroe yeah i would be happy with that all right the toast of the town favorite yeah. gift that you have ever received and who gave it to you a favorite gift I ever received was from my dad, a watch, nice. a Tiffany watch. It's beautiful. Now that you're retired, what excites you most about life? I have no clue what's going to happen. I don't have any dates. The clock is 24 hours. I live in Hilton Head Island, South Carolina, and, and I'm meeting so many more people. And we still have our friends from Chicago, from New York, from Dallas, from Portland. So it's good to stop a little bit after being on the road for 40 years, not being on a plane and a hotel 100 nights a, a year. So to me, it's just, I want to do more speeches. I definitely want to get continue to get more involved. That's my release. Bob, thank you for sharing your story, that of your son, and that of the good work that's being done through the organization. 
sponsored. No, thank you, thank you, Mark. And, and again, appreciate what you're doing in your second career, coming from Nike and doing the podcast. I think that's great that you're giving back and you're teaching people. And uh, I guess that's what it's all about. Yep. We need more of that. Exactly. Thank you, Bob. God bless. God bless. Love you, man. I'd like to thank Bob again, as well as his wife, Lorraine, and daughter, Tiffany, for offering this painful but valuable advice to teens and parents alike on how best to avoid the ills of addiction. The link to the TC Arizona State University Fund is contained in our show notes in case you'd also like to donate to this amazing substance abuse counseling and educational program. Please tune in next week for my episode featuring the iconic Steve Prefontaine, in a strange coincidence, Pre also passed away on May 30th at the young age of 24, exactly like TC. Both amazing lives, not fully realized. If you know someone who could benefit from this heavy hitter sports podcast episode, please share it, whether that be with a friend, co-worker, or family member. Hopefully you'll add to the list of those positively impacted by Bob's message regarding his son's arduous journey. I'll leave you with James Horner's theme, The Field of Dreams, Bob's favorite film, which makes perfect sense since the movie is centered around a cherished father and son reunion. Mm -hmm.